Our Bible reading this morning will be coming from page 1077 from the Pew Bible. That's 1077. And also 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll start in verse 10. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 10. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. have your Bibles, you may want to mark the page, the scripture that's just been read. That's going to serve as our lesson text this morning, 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you, say thank you for your presence. You're an encouragement to us by being here, and we're just uh, excited that you came out to serve and, and worship God with us this morning. As Brother Pat mentioned, the Shannons are on vacation, a well-needed vacation. We were talking uh, out in the foyer about what a busy summer it has been and all the activities that have gone on. Start off with camp. After camp was the Make Me a Servant week. Uh, after that was our one campaign where we knocked every door in Mount Juliet and invited to the gospel meeting uh, our friends and neighbors and set up Bible studies. Following that was the teen uh, mission trip. We went to Marlington, West Virginia, and they conducted a vacation Bible school there. After that, the young men had chiseled. The next week, the young ladies have, had sculpted, And these were programs that, that take our, our older teens and show them what they can become, uh, no matter where God puts them in life, how they can use their talents and abilities to magnify the kingdom. And of course, then this past week was our vacation Bible school. And what a tremendous time that was. We had such a good turnout. So many children from the community came to learn the Bible stories And we just pray that the seeds that have been planted there will grow and mature and produce fruit for the Lord. We don't say all this to pat ourselves on the back and say, look what a good thing that we're doing. But rather we we look at these opportunities that God has placed before us. And we're so thankful that we have the opportunities to serve one another, to grow spiritually and to reach out to our community. Because that's what our goal should be reaching out to those who are lost and without Christ. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. And that ought to be our goal as well. We go out and we teach the gospel of Christ because in it we have God's plan of salvation whereby all of us can become children of his and have that hope of heaven. But someone may say, what next? Okay, I've become a Christian I've followed God's will. I've been baptized into Christ. I've had my sins washed away. I'm trying to live a faithful life. I have that hope of heaven in the life hereafter. But what about now? What can I expect from this life? Friends, one thing we need to realize is every day that we live, there's a battle going on in our lives for our soul. It's a battle between good and evil. You see, Satan wants no more than 
nothing greater than to, to disrupt our life, to cause us pain and anguish and hurt. Jesus, on the other hand, brings us blessings. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Back up a few verses to John 10, verse 9 and 10. Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. And isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus is not only our salvation. Salvation is not only through Jesus, but in him we have the provisions that he offers. But verse 11, he tells us about the adversary. Or verse 10, rather. He says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants to destroy us. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So we see this battle going on in our lives between good and evil. Satan wants to destroy us. Christ wants to bless us. What does an abundant life look like in Christ? Because literally what Jesus is saying here, he says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it in abundance. You see, Jesus came to show us what life was. And he wants us to have that life, a life in him. And he wants us to have that life in abundance, an abundance of love, abundance of joy, abundance of peace, all the good spiritual blessings that Ephesians 1 verse 3 tells us are found in Christ. So how do we access that? How do we access that abundant life, those blessings that God offers? I'd like for us to look at this morning through our text, God's recipe for an abundant life. What is a recipe? When we think of a recipe, we think of an instruction on how to create something. Uh, it's the idea that there's something that I want, something that I desire. And the recipe tells me what ingredients I need for that, how to combine those ingredients, and then what to do with the mixture once I've combined those ingredients. That's the idea of a recipe. The thing about a recipe is if we follow it, the end will turn out as the recipe calls. But if we substitute ingredients, if we don't follow the recipe exactly, there's no way the recipe can come turn out like is intended. The same is true about God's recipe for our life. What I want us to do is look at 1 Peter 3 and see God's recipe for an abundant life. And as we do that, let's take an account of our life and see, am I living this life according to the way God wants me to have an abundant life? And if not, do I need to make changes in my life? Look, if you will, at our text. 1 Peter 3, it says, For he that will love life and see good days. You see that word will? That actually means he who is willing or he who wills. Who, he who has a desire. The idea is we have to have a desire to love life and see good days ahead. You know, I may have a lot of good recipes in my cupboard at home. Recipes that have been passed down, recipes that have been given to me. But if I don't have a desire to create what that recipe makes, if I, that desire doesn't prompt me to pull them out of the cupboard and get the ingredients and put it together, I'll never enjoy the benefit of those recipes. The same is true about God's recipe. He says, first off, 
for he that will love life. We have to have a desire for a love of life and good days ahead. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. I need to realize the first thing I need to do in God's recipe is guard my, guard my tongue. How much damage can we do with our tongue? Whether it be through gossip, whether it be through slander, whether it be through backbiting, whether it be through uh, uh, profanity or, or cursing, whatever it is, it's immeasurable the damage that we can do with our tongue. James spends the better part of a chapter dealing with the tongue. If you have your Bibles, look over at James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Verse 5 and 6, James makes the point, verse 5, how that the tongue is such a little member, a little part of our body. And yet, though it is such a little part, it can do such great things and cause such great damage. He compares it in verse 3 to the bit that we put in a horse's mouth. A small bit compared to the horse. But with that small metal bit, we can control this large, powerful animal. In verse 4, he compares it to the rudder on a ship. And how that even though this ship is out in the wind and it's tossed by the waves, the sea is tempestuous, the rudder keeps the ship on course. In putting the PowerPoint together and trying to show a rudder on a ship, it was difficult to find a picture of a ship. Because any ship that was dry docked where it showed the, the, the size of the ship, the rudder is so small that you can't hardly tell what it is at the end of the ship. The picture we have here is a model of the John Erickson, which is a ship that's over 360 feet long. The inset in the top left corner shows a blown up picture of the rear of the ship. And you can see the small rudder that controls that ship. That large ship out in the water, the direction of it is controlled by that small rudder. James is teaching us in the same way our tongue controls the direction in many ways of our life. It can cause us pain. It can cause us anguish. Then in verse 5 and 6, James compares the tongue to a fire. How easy is it to control a fire? If I had a stack of hay and I just wanted to burn half of that stack, I wanted to start the fire on this end and let it burn, and when it got halfway, I didn't want to burn any on this stack, how easy would that be to do? It's nearly impossible, isn't it? A few years ago, I had a brush pile in the backyard, and I wanted to get rid of the brush pile. So one day I thought, I'm going to burn that brush pile. It had been raining some previous days, so the, the, the ground was wet, and I thought, well, this would be a good time because I wouldn't have to worry about the fire spreading as bad. But the problem was the brush pile was wet as well. So I thought, that brush pile needs something to help get that fire started. And you know where this is going. I looked over and I saw a can of lighter fluid under my grill. Now, I'm not one that grills much. That lighter fluid had probably been there five years out in the weather, nearly full. But I thought, I'll use that and put it on the brush. So I grabbed the lighter fluid, I open up the lid, and I start pouring it on the brush pile. And as I do, I squeeze that plastic bottle to get the lighter fluid out, and that bottle just disintegrated in my hands. I guess from being out in the sun and the weather, that plastic just disintegrated. I got lighter fluid on my arm, on my shirt, all over the brush pile. So I went in the house, I washed up, I, I changed clothes, and I came out with a lighter. 
Now, luckily, before I started this, I uncoiled the water hose and put it over by the brush pile, turned the water on, because when I lit that fire, immediately there was a ball of flame coming from that brush pile, and within a few minutes, that whole brush pile was being consumed, and flames were, were lapping up into the, into the air, and there I was with the garden hose trying to control that flame, trying to control that fire. I tell you that story because James says that's the way our tongue is. When we misuse our tongue, whether it be through lying or gossip or slander, what we're doing is we're pouring fuel on the relationships in our life. We're pouring fuel on the relationships that we've built. We may not intend to, to, to start the fire. We may not intend to burn bridges that have, have taken us years to build. In fact, James tells us where that fire comes from. If you look at verse 6 there, it says... And it's set on fire from hell. You see, Satan is standing there waiting for us to misuse our tongue. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's waiting for us to misuse our tongue. Pouring that accelerant on the relationships around us. And he's standing there with the spark that will ignite that flame and burn those relationships up. Friends, I need to realize in God's recipe for an abundant life, for a blessed life, I've got to control my tongue. There's no way that I can live an abundant life and have hurt and, and despair and destruction all around me because of my tongue. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, the second part of that is, that they speak no guile. Now I know that it deals with the tongue, it deals with our communication, but it's just a little bit different. The idea of speaking no guile is the idea of speaking with sincerity. Speaking uh, guile or speaking deceit or beguiling someone is the idea of saying something with your mouth when your heart actually believes something different. It's the idea of false flattery, saying something to somebody just to get something from them. Maybe you want a possession of theirs. Maybe you want their influence. Maybe you want their approval. And so you give them false flattery. You beguile them. James, or our text tells us, 1 Peter, that if we want the abundant life, if we want a life that we can love, we've got to be sincere with people. We've got to live a life of sincerity. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we want good days ahead, we've got to reap sincerity in the, today. We can't expect good days ahead and deceit in our mouth today. The next thing we see in God's recipe, we refrain our tongue from evil and our lips that we speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. That word eschew, some of your translations may say turn away from. It's the idea of not even looking on it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, abstain from every appearance of evil. God's direction has always been, don't go around it. Don't go near it. Not even the appearance of evil. Abstain from it. Turn away from it. And yet human nature is, we want to see how close we can get to the edge. How close we can get to evil without participating in it. And God says, don't even look at it. Don't go there. Why does he say that? 
Because God knows sin is progressive. One day we're looking at it, the next day we're thinking about it, and the next day we're participating in it. Sin is progressive. And that's the whole point of Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Look over at Psalms. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, there's three different actions on our part, three different degrees of, of involvement in sin as sin goes to ensnare us. And if you think about it, you think about it this way. Picture a, a storefront window, just like you'd see in any city. Storefront window is there because the merchant will put his goods out in the storefront trying to entice you to come in and purchase his wares. Only on this storefront that God describes, there's sin behind it. And we don't go immediately in and, and participate in sin. But what do we do? We walk past it and we look at it. Every day we look at it. There may be those that are going in to participate. And we may, we may talk to them, but we're not going in. Oh no, I would, never, I would never do that. That's wrong. And so we walk past, but yet we're looking at it. We're talking to those who are looking at it as well. They're ungodly. They, they don't have God. So they don't see a problem with going in. They say, well, come on in. Come on in with us. And we're like, oh no, no, no. I, could never, I would never do that. That's wrong. But the more we talk to them, the more we get their counsel, the more we allow them to entice us to go in, what happens? Next thing you know, we're going in. We're very uncomfortable, and so we just stand off to the side and say, well, I'm not going to participate, but I'll stand here. That's the second step in Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not uh, in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. You see, the sin is going on here. This may be friends that we're running around with that we shouldn't run around with. And we say, well, I'll just, I'll just go with them. I'm not going to participate in what they're doing. I know they're going to do wrong, but I won't participate. It may be uh, other sins in our life. We get as close as we can. We stand there. We're not going to participate. But what happens? Our conscience gets seared. Our conscience gets seared to the point to where as we stand and as we watch the sin going on, the time comes when an opportunity is there for us to participate in the sin. And then where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves sitting amongst the scornful, participating in the sin. Scornful because they're the ones that are actually committing the sin, that don't have a moral compass about them, that don't see anything wrong with the sin, so they scorn the idea that this is wrong. So now I've gone from walking past and seeing sin in the window to going in and standing and watching sin to where I'm participating with it with people who don't see a thing wrong with the sin that I'm participating in. Blessed is the man who walketh not after the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Sin is progressive. And so that's why we can't even look at it. We have to eschew evil. You know, we get caught up in sin, and human nature says, you know, we, we just get so caught up in it, we say, why in the world did I ever do this? Why did I go into that shop? Why did I go in amongst sin? And the problem is, that's not where our downfall was. Our downfall began when we gazed on it, when we looked on it, when we looked in the window and saw it and continued to look on it. We have to eschew evil, turn away from it, 
You say, well, how can I do that? Sin is all around me. I live in a world of sin. How can I, how can I not see it? Our young men tell me, this time of year especially, one of the hardest things they face in keeping a pure mind and a pure life is when they look out and see young women where they work and just in, in public in general that are dressed in a way that's provocative, in a way that brings up evil desires or, or lustful desires. And so we teach our young men to bounce their eyes. And it's the idea, if I throw a ball, that ball doesn't just go to a resting place and stop. That ball bounces from there to somewhere else and then to somewhere else until it finds a resting place. And we teach them to do the same thing with our eyes. If we look out and we see something that is evil, something that is not good, don't dwell on it. Bounce your eyes. If where your eyes land, there's something evil there. Don't dwell on it. Bounce your eyes. Until you rest, rest your eyes on something that is good, something that doesn't bring a downfall. Folks, we cannot look on evil. We have to turn away from it. The second part of that is we have to eschew evil and do good. I need to realize that part of the Christian walk is not, or part of the Christian walk is doing good. Galatians, let's see, Galatians 6 verse 10. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. If I'm going through my Christian life, and I'm, all I'm doing is trying to keep from sin, keep from sin, which is very important. We need to get sin out of our life. Repentance is a big part of the Christian walk. It's something we do daily. As we see we're doing wrong, we need to follow after God's will, we turn away from it. But if that's all I'm doing, according to God's recipe, I'm leaving a very important ingredient out. You see, I should not only turn away from sin, but I should look for opportunities to do good. You may be a Christian here, and as we're talking about the life that God offers, this abundant life, you may say, I don't know that I've got the abundant life. I don't know that I'm, I'm enjoying the abundant life that God promises. Could it be that we're leaving an important ingredient out of the recipe? Could it be that there's something about the way we're following the recipe that is not like it should be? I not only have to get sin out of my life, but I have to look for opportunities to do good. Next thing we see that we need to do is we need to seek peace and ensue it. Some of your translations say pursue it. And it's the idea that we look for it. We look for peace in our relationships and then when we find it, we go after it. It's kind of the idea of a hunter as he goes out before hunting season. Deer hunting season's coming up and they'll go out and they'll look through the woods and they'll look for signs of where the deer are. They may look for hoof marks in the mud. They may look for bark missing off the trees where the deer has rubbed its antlers. Uh, they may look for deer scrapes in the ground. All these things they're looking for to see where the deer are so that when hunting season comes, they can set up there and have hope of, of getting a deer. They realize that deer first day of hunting season, is not going to walk up to them just because they're new in the woods. Uh, rather, it's very elusive. Peace is the same way in our relationships at times. It's not enough to say, oh, he's just hard to get along with. It doesn't matter. No, our directive is to seek peace 
We need to study our relationships, look for signs where peace can be, study the lay of the land. And when we see areas in a relationship where peace can be developed, we need to pursue it. We need to seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We have to seek peace. We have to to look for it in every relationship. And it may be different in every relationship. But as we look at our relationships around us, we look for ways to create peace. And then we pursue it. That's God's recipe for a good life. He says, he that will love life and see good days, let him do these things. That's what we can expect. But the thing about God's recipe, God gives us in abundance. In fact, there's more to this recipe than what we've, what we've looked at. Look at verse 12 of our text. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. Not only if we follow God's recipe can we expect a life we can love, Not only can we expect good days ahead, but look what we have. We have the protection of the Lord. His eyes are over the righteous. Not only do we have his protection, but we have an avenue of prayer. His ears are open to our prayers. Isn't it a blessing to be a child of God? You know, that's who this was written to. Peter in 1 Peter 1 verse 2 said he was writing to the elect, uh, to brethren, he was writing to those that, uh, that were children of God. You know the cool thing about a recipe? The cool thing about a recipe is they're constant. You may have recipes in your cupboard that you've received from your mom or your grandmother or someone back in your family. You may have taken recipes and copied them down to pass on to your children. The thing about a recipe is it's constant. If it's, if it's copied correctly, if it's followed accurately, the same result is going to come about every time. A recipe is accurate. What's cool about God's recipe is this isn't a new recipe. This is a recipe he's given to us, his children today, but it's the same recipe he gave to his children in times past. Look over at Psalms chapter 34. Psalms chapter 34, verse 12 through 16. Look at what he said here to his children of old and compare it with the recipe we have today. What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? There's a life to be loved and and good days. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. What's neat about God's recipe is this recipe is the same recipe he gave to his children years ago. And it's the same recipe that he's now passed down to his children today. It's the recipe for an abundant life. The life Christ has for us. You may be here in a child of God and realize I've not been following God's recipe. There's ingredients that I've left out of that recipe. What better time than this morning to make that correction? To correct the way we're living our life. 
so that we can have a life that we love, so that we can have good days ahead. If the sin is of a public nature, we stand ready to pray with you and for you. You may be here this morning and you've never become a child of God. You've never obeyed God's plan of salvation that he's calling for us to obey. If you come believing in Christ, repenting of your sins, that idea of eschewing evil, turning away from it, being willing to confess him as the son of God, and then being willing to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, and thereby becoming a child of God. What better time than this morning to begin that walk with him and to begin that abundant life and start planning for those good days ahead with Christ. Friends, if we can help you in any way, we ask that you come as we stand and as we sing.